This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, lockdown chaos in Melbourne as we've reached the pointy end of the Australian Open. When does it really pay to bet on yourself? Stuart Broad nearly gets derailed in India. And more news notes and quotes as the NBA season rolls on. Plenty to discuss as always. Let's go. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, a couple of things caught my attention this week. First thing is an unbelievable story coming out of Italy. So most people will have at the very least heard of Christian Vieri, played 49 matches internationally for Italy between 97 and 2005, scored 194 goals domestically in 374 games. Pretty decent soccer player. Pretty handy career. Yeah. So he's 47 years old now, and he's apparently coming out of retirement to try and train with the fledgling Italian cricket team. Okay. At 47. Yeah. We have spoken about some really random old guys that have Well, it's made often the way team. when teams start. Yep. Yeah. But he actually lived in Australia from the ages of four to 14, and he spent a lot of time playing cricket in between the soccer and all the other stuff he did. And he's made some pretty outlandish claims, including, I could have been the world's best batsman. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Had he chosen cricket over soccer, obviously. And saying that he was a bit like Chris Gable, he was a left-hander, he loved hitting the ball out of the park. And, he was apparently a pretty handy player in his time. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting, really. Yeah. We'll have to get some uh, footage to review. We'll give him a bit of the benefit of the doubt on the age thing and we'll see how he goes. See how he goes. And then the second thing in the last couple of days out of the Iranian Soccer League, I saw this guy named Nader Mohammadi who was playing for Paikan FC and he was going to take a throw in about a metre inside his own half. And he's just launched into this ridiculous front flip somersault, somersault yeah. thing. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's just launch this this throw and it's nearly gone over the over the byline yeah. like it was unbelievable about a 50 meter throw that is something to get your hands on it if you can really is unbelievable yeah. that's how about, amazing how about yourself mate well a couple of things that popped up on twitter so yesterday was the 19th anniversary of stephen bradbury's uh incredible against all odds speed skating gold medal from the winter olympics it's kind of like when you when you think back to that i think back to the episode of the simpsons where you know where homer like oh i guess Doing i, pulled, a homer. I yeah. guess i pulled a homer <laughs> it's kind of like that but it's such a shame that it's looked on so poorly because it's an amazing achievement well and you've still got to get to the semi in the final don't you okay yes it ha- lightning struck twice but you know you've still got to be good enough to get there you do yeah, no, he won the gold medal. No one can ever take that away from him. Exactly. The other thing is I see that uh, Adam Sandler's brought back Happy Gilmore in the social media <laughs> space as well. And then the guy that played Shooter McGavin I has now that. posted a video too, which I haven't watched yet, but I might watch after it's this. It's good, man. It's really good. But what caught my attention was Oliver Horse, who comfortably won the 1500 metre at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix in New York, beating some pretty decent competition. His time was an Australian indoor record for the 1500 metre, and it's actually the sixth fastest in history by anyone wow so hopefully he qualifies for the olympics we could have uh, a genuine medal chance there new craig motram basically well hey you never know he was a bit further wasn't he wasn't he the... i think might have been the five thousand yeah, the 10, yeah, 000, but yeah he, he's the only long distance yeah. runner i can think of to be honest so. <laughs> what'd you miss mate well sadly i missed the first official sport blokes interview on saturday uh, I, yes. I was scheduled to drop the kids off at the folks house and we'd record after that but but my little one decided to get crook that morning mum hasn't had the best of health the last 12 months so i couldn't really run the risk and so we've had to postpone it till this weekend hopefully all going well 
And uh, yeah, we should have the first interview on the can with any luck. Hopefully, yeah, that'll teach me for putting uh, that is what I was amped for in that well, no, section you, last you, week. In, in your defense, you did say all going well. You, oh, did I? Okay. You did include the disclaimer, so you got away with that one. Well, I was, I was going to say if 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 it came down to only things that can't be postponed, we can't be amped for anything because we've seen several games in the NBL postponed. My Spurs have had games postponed. The Charlotte Hornets, all sorts. So yeah, we can be amped for things. They may never eventuate, but we'll see. So what did you miss, Nath? Yeah, sticking on that theme, Stewie, as far as the podcast concerned, I, I've, it's remiss of me not to have talked about Gronk more last week when we talked about the Super Bowl. He's the best tight end in the history of the NFL. Just clarify, that's Rob Gronkowski. Oh, sorry, for, yes, Rob for, Gronkowski. For anyone, yes. for anyone who's not familiar with who Gronk is, he just <laughs> sounds yeah. like just some larrikin idiot guy. Yeah, look, so we're a bit indulgent in the early days. We'd go for longer than an hour. These days, we try and keep things to under an hour. You know, We know that our few listeners have busy lives and that sort of thing. So sometimes we don't say stuff for time. Sometimes... If you'll forgive the anachronism, stuff gets lost on the cutting room floor. So unfortunately, he didn't talk about Gronk enough last week. And I'd like to read a Chris Jones tweet about him. I profiled Gronk's dad, Gordy, and went to their house. The five Gronk boys shared five king-sized beds in their two massive rooms with extra wide doors. Which bed was Rob's? Gordy shrugged. Wherever they crashed that night, they crashed. It was like he was raising giant cats. Uh, but let me tell you, that giant cat now holds the record along with Tom Brady as the most successful duo in playoff history. And he landed on his feet in with, Tampa Bay, didn't he? With 14 catches. Well, look, it's got to be said that Brady basically recruited him there. So Still you know. landed on his feet like yeah, a cat. Yeah, he did. He like did. Cat, so. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Oh, I see. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Oh, very good. <laughs> Come on, Nathan, connect the dots. Very good. But yeah, they're 14 oh. touchdowns in playoffs, the two ahead of Montana and Rice, and then four ahead of Favre and Freeman. So that's very impressive. Pretty decent company. Yes, indeed. And he was in MVP consideration too, him mm. and Leonard Fournette. So we'll move on to the news roundup, Nathan. We've got some news on Eddie Maguire. Well, very quickly, we won't dwell on this. As we speculated, as many speculated, he has stepped down effective immediately. He will not be seeing out his tenure for the rest of the year at Collingwood. Probably a wise decision. Time to move on. And not surprisingly, it happened the day after we recorded last week. Yeah, well, that's typical, you know. Always happens. Yeah, it's the way it goes. Now, a bit of cricket we've wedged into the news this week, Stuart. Yeah, there's a little bit going on in the international cricket. We've got the West Indies tour of Bangladesh continuing. They had a near choke in Dhaka. They made 409 in their first innings, took a really nice lead into the second innings before a catastrophic 117. So they set Bangladesh 231 for the win. Man Mountain, Rakeem Cornwall oh, yes. was the hero. Carrying teammates on his back, literally he, and figuratively. He was. The 140-kilogram yep. unit took four wickets as part of a 30-over spell. Yep. 30 over. Yeah, well, spinners can do it. Yeah. Can. He took a really nice slips catch as well, reminiscent of one Dwayne Leverall. Ah, yes, we brought him up before. It's hard not to think of the two together, isn't it? It really is. Man of the match and a really great moment for West Indian cricket. In India, things aren't going quite as well for, for England. The pitch played a few tricks on him in the second test. A couple of iffy DRS decisions. Oh, yeah. One massively going in, in their favour, though, I will say. And the fact that they've got Ben Stokes and Ben Folks on the same team. Yes. <laughs> bring back Chris Wokes is all I can say. <laughs> yes. But no, basically, England was spanked. There was a lot of talk about the quality of the pitch. On the second day, it started crumbling really badly. And Rohit Sharma had made 161 in the first innings and not surprisingly, Vaughn was complaining about the quality, that sort of thing. It was all over Twitter. Lots of people were, in fairness, not just English people. No surprise at who was quick to clap back on him, though. Oh, of course. One Shane Warren. Yeah, of course. But uh, no, look, the thing is, 
England responded with 134 after India made 329 and there's all these complaints. But then what happens in the second innings? Ravi Ashman comes out and makes 106. Yep. yep. So it can't have been that bad. Yeah, yep. It really just comes down to quality batting from the Indians and poor bowling from the English side. It's yep. as simple as that. Yep. So Ashman became the second player with a ton and five wickets in the same match three times with Sir Ian Botham. But honestly, the fact that Ashwin scored more in his second innings than any English player scored in both innings combined. And nearly more than England scored as a team. That's very true. So that really yeah. tells you a lot. Yep. Now we'll get into the DRS stuff fairly quickly. None of the really bad ones for England actually cost them any runs. Ajinkya Rahane was given not out on a ball that sort of hit his hit his pad and went up off, off the glove and ballooned to, to back pad, basically. It was given not out because they didn't roll the film far enough. Which is not, which is a real howler. That's poor. Yeah, that's really poor. But it cost him one run, so yeah. that's not too bad. The other one that infuriated Joe Root, though, just before stumps on day two, Rohit Sharma was given not out, didn't play a shot in my opinion, and the ball tracking on towards middle stump off Moen Ali. Oh, it, it almost looked plum, I reckon. Well, I mean, it hit outside the line, but yeah, that's it was, true. he was a judge to have played yeah, a shot yeah. when I really don't think he no, had. He just tucked, no. it tucked was, it back That's line. right. It was plum if he wasn't playing a shot. Yeah. yeah. But again, Sharma only made another five. And there was a really close one. Joe Root was, I thought, plumb in front a couple of days ago, basically. And it was pitching outside the line. It was just one of these things. Yeah, I know. It's a weird rule. It hit the pad, deviated, and actually clipped the stumps. Yeah. How is that not in front? So, yeah, yeah, the DRS to me just gives me the shits. Yeah. Anyway, the bottom line is England... Got, got smashed in that game. But there is still faint hope of Australia making the World Test Championship final. Well, maybe more than faint. Well, England winning 2-1 or a one-all or two-all series draw are the three scenarios that allow Australia to get through. So we kind of want England to win the next match. Don't we we? kind of do, yeah. Yeah, yep. so fingers crossed. But yep. uh, yeah, crazy. And just quickly, the Shield kicked off again today. Chock full of Aussie players, of course, because... There's no South African tour. Mm. In spite of that, New South Wales only managed a paltry 165 with Smitty only getting seven. He was out to an absolute peach though. Yeah, well, and he bowled very well. He picked up mm. three, the uh, the young fella there. They do basically have the Australian bowling attack. So even though the Vicks did knock off 60 without loss before stumps, you think that Starkey, Lyon and the likes would maybe have a part to play going forward. You would think so. They've got some news on the NFL. Yeah, just really quickly again, I'll rush through this. It's come out now, and again, it's not really a surprise. Patrick Mahomes will undergo surgery to repair a taunt plantar plate in his foot per wrap sheet. The rehab will be several months now. He wasn't mobile. We knew that there were problems with his foot. It just makes the whole thing with Kansas City even more impressive. By the way, one of their linemen wasn't playing because he was a doctor and he was fighting COVID. Wow. So the NFL had rules where players were allowed to sit out and he was one of the players that sat out. So wow. that's something maybe to spotlight in future. The Texans have released JJ Watt. This is with the Deshaun Watson rumors in full swing. He's requested a trade. So Bill Barnwell tweeted, the Texans aren't planning on having fans in 2021. Well, Nothing to do with the pandemic, just their new philosophy. <laughs> It doesn't sound like they're planning on having a team either. Oh, yep, yep. Oh, dear. Not a good time for Houston fans, as we said last week. Daytona update, Stewie. Yeah, well, geez, we've seen some fiery crashes over the years, but the Daytona 500 on Sunday was well and truly up there. With a 16-car pileup on the last lap as part of 18 did-not-finishes for the whole race. Last lap. I know, right? So Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski were leading. They sort of clipped bumpers and... 
before you know it, they're being being thrown off in all different directions and it set off this carnage. It's about the only time they turn right, probably. Yeah, yeah, I know. You had one job, turn left. (laughs) But uh, no, Michael McDowell, he avoided the chaos and managed to record his first win in 357 starts. That's so good. It's it's, it's not good that there was a crash. It's good that a bloke who has toiled away gets a win finally. He actually made a very similar comment himself, basically sort of making fun of the the fact that he'd won because of that. He did a bribery. He did a a bribery, yeah. I can't believe we didn't... (laughs) So no, again, this is a testament to the designers of these cars and the manufacturers that no one was hurt. A couple of them, it's like, how the hell did someone get out of it? It's a miracle. It really is. Like, especially when we think of that one last year in the F1 as well. It's it's incredible what some some people escape. Yeah. We've got a bit of controversy in the gymnastics, Nath. Well, potentially. So Simone Biles, who's a four-time Olympic gold medalist and has more world championship victories than any other athlete in the history of the sport is wishing to attempt the Yuchenko double at the upcoming Tokyo Games. Now, this is something that no other woman has ever attempted in the competition. And look, I won't pretend to know what all this means. I watch the footage, so that's the only reason I know. But uh, if you're wondering, it's a round-off back handspring entry into the vaulting table, then executing two full backwards rotations with legs extended before landing. Now, previously, Biles has had a bit of problems with introducing new moves into the sport. In 2019, they basically said that she could do these moves, but she wouldn't get a good score for them because they were too dangerous. So what's the point? And basically, they were worried that athletes that weren't capable of trying them would try them. But that would be robbing her of her greatness and it seems really unfair. Why would you take that away from her and the fans? It's like the equivalent of giving Steph Curry two for every three. Yeah. Just because he's really good at it. Basically, yeah. That is that is ridiculous. Yeah, or like you know, let's make the goal sticks a bit closer together when Plugger kicks at goal. It's it's <laughs> yeah. not fair. No, it really isn't. Yeah, and actually, it kind of reminds me a bit of of Surya Bonali, who was a, a figure skater back in the in the nineties, and she actually performed a front flip in the the Nagano Winter Olympics. There was a guy named Terry Kubica who did it in nineteen seventy six, and it was deemed illegal because when he did it, he landed on two feet, and the whole point with ice skating is you need to be landing on one foot. Otherwise, it's just not a legal landing. Now, Benali knew she was going to be penalised for it, but she did it anyway. And, and good on it. And she landed on, it was magnificent. on one skate. Yeah. So Fantastic. Even though she can do it, they're not willing to look back at the rules and maybe change things. So it's the same sort of idea. I'll quote from the 2019 USA Today article. In assigning values to the new elements, the WTC takes into consideration many different aspects. The risk, the safety of the gymnast and the technical direction of the discipline, it said. There is added risk in landing double saltos for beam dismounts with or without twists, including potential landing on the neck. Now, this is true of so much in gymnastics. There's always the risk of landing on the neck. Where do you draw the line? Okay, in junior soccer, you can't do headers. They don't play with pads and helmets in junior gridiron. You know, there are things put in place at the junior level. But at the pro level... Let the greats be great. Mm. This is crazy. So in the article, it said, translation, some gymnasts are trying to pad their scores by chucking in skills they have no business doing and we need to protect them from themselves. There's no shortage of hypocrisy in that rationale. If the Federation is so concerned with athlete safety, why do they allow these skills in the first place? Exactly. So, Shui, I'll be honest, I don't know whether or not they've softened their stance heading into the Tokyo Games, but time will tell on that one. Regardless, their their views in 2019 are crazy. Mm. Agreed. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, due to time constraints last week, I've had to roll last week's bloody hell over. We've got a bit of a two-tiered bloody hell this week. 
They go to Stuart Broad and the hotel the English cricket team are staying in in Chennai, the Leela Palace, and one very imaginative punter in America. So we'll start off in India. As I mentioned on the news, on the field, things are a bit shaky for England, which is kind of fitting considering the uh, <laughs> yes. the, the balcony safety rail Absolutely. in Stuart Broad's room. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's posted these pictures to his Instagram of, among other things, this balcony safety rail, which was very much not attached to the wall properly. It's unlikely it would have done much to stop Broad plummeting several stories down to pretty much a small hedge and a bunch of concrete, which is not good. No. To be fair, though, Broad's been known in the past not to walk, so maybe, maybe the staff assumed he was <laughs> unlikely to walk outside. Now, look, we've done some travel through uh, India, Sri Lanka and the West Indies for Cricket World Cups. Now, anything you'd care to remember in terms of hotel situations? Uh, well, speaking of Indian balconies, I remember in Varanasi, now it wasn't a part of the cricket, but when you do the tour, you do the tourist thing. In Varanasi, I remember the monkeys like knocking on your window and behaving in quite a scary fashion, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> they have rails up on the windows to stop yeah, the had Yeah, they, they did. They, they had bars. Oh, and, okay. and that was the day we were nearly run down by bulls in tiny streets while carrying our luggage. And, and speaking of dehydration, I got super dehydrated and actually started hallucinating. I was pretty dehydrated, but I wasn't quite that bad. Yeah, they call Varanasi the uh, the Venice of, of India. It's, you can see why with the little narrow street. I mean, I've got a couple that spring to mind. We actually shared a triple room in Delhi and basically had a king bed that was rotated 90 degrees between you, myself and one of our other friends. Yes, indeed. We also had a guest house in Grenada that seemed to have electricity that was going through the shower. Oh, God. The things you do. Yeah, yeah. I hate to tally the near-death experiences we might have had. Yep. I nearly hit my head again in a in a dehydrated thing when we did a big walk around Grenada too on a massive rock near a waterfall. I nearly cracked my head open. But my third one might actually top Broadies. Another mate of ours, the one that shared the triple room with us in Delhi, we actually shared a penthouse room in a nice hotel in Candy. It's, you know, it was still a little bit under construction at the time, but we could walk out a sliding door onto a balcony that was maybe two metres wide with absolutely nothing on it. Who needs a rail? Literally just a block of concrete oh, with gosh. a drop. I wouldn't have even walked out onto it. Well, me being me, I took the camera out and basically leant over the edge to take photos, but... Yeah, absolutely nothing to stop us falling off. And we were about four floors up. Admittedly, the landing would have been a little bit more jungly. Into but, the canopy, yeah. But still. Now, the second bloody hell goes to Yuri Andrade. Oh, not, not Yuri Telechko again. No, not him, no. no we've, we've got, got enough fodder from Multiple him. Yuris. Yeah. But he seemed to have found an incredible loophole in sports betting. So he managed to get tickets to the Super Bowl, found out that you could bet on there being a streaker in the game, which was paying about $7. So he's whacked down enough money to make nearly half a million dollars on it. And then when the game was over in the fourth quarter, he's hopped out onto the field in a little mankini and did it himself. Figured just take all the guesswork out of it. He spent a night in jail and was charged less than a thousand bucks for bail. So pretty good deal. Yep. Spoke to Kyle and Jackie O on the radio about it in the, the days following. Jackie O was a little bit sceptical about whether the bookies would actually pay out on it. And she was right. Well, not only that, there's been a lot of speculation that it was all a publicity stunt anyway, and the bet wasn't even placed. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't heard that part. Yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, not surprisingly, the bookies have cancelled all bets to do with him and They've said, we will continue to make sure that any publicity stunts or ill-intended behaviour cannot adversely affect the outcome of a player's wager. On a side note, I did see a hilarious tweet saying, the Super Bowl streaker has more yards than the Chiefs have all game. <laughs> so that was really cool. 
Now, he had the same branding on his mankini that a woman had streaking at the Super Bowl last year for a porn site, oh, which is why a lot of people okay. think that the bets were never even placed right. and it was just free advertising well, and makes... very effective free advertising. Very effective. Yeah, yeah. Now, it did get me looking into some of the craziest wages that have gone on out there. I've got a couple. Now, Roy McElroy's dad. Yeah, this is great. He bet at the age of 15, he bet that Rory would win a British Open within 10 years. Yep. And he won £100,000 on it. Absolutely crazy. So when Rory was 24, he won the the Open by two shots, which is an amazing achievement. But yeah, to have that much faith. Oh, yeah, exactly. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's a fantastic. I remember hearing that when it happened. I was like, what a story. This yeah. is magnificent. I also saw one where a guy who was really annoyed with himself for not betting on Roger Federer to win the 2003 Wimbledon crown bet that he would win six more by 2019 and he landed over £100,000. Now, unfortunately, he died before it happened, but he left the betting slip to the Oxfam charity who were able to collect the prize, which is really lovely. Lovely, yeah. Also saw one where a bloke bet £67 on a jockey winning seven races in one day, walked away with more than £550,000. Crikey. And my personal favourite, because it's controversial, was Gino DeFelice bet $5 on a 15-leg NFL multi, which came down to a game between Seattle and Green Bay. Now, what's the most famous game you can think of between the Seahawks and Packers? Ah, uh, the Fail Mary. The Fail Mary. Also known as the inaccurate reception or the inter-touchdown deception. <laughs> uh, when two players came down with the ball from opposite teams, but they missed a pass interference call that should have been an interception. And the YouTube comment is so good. It's like Russell Wilson made NFL history by becoming the first ever quarterback to throw a game-winning interception. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, like I actually that. saw that game too. Yeah. Yeah. Replacement refs, I think. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. It was. Yeah. 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 I think that was part of the controversy. Yeah. But yeah, how, how cool is that? You know, winning a 15-leg multi because of a, oh, that's a crazy. botched call. Yeah. Yep. So nuts. Now they weren't all positive. A young student had so much faith in Angola in the African Cup of Nations. Oh, this one. He bet his entire 4,400 British pounds student loan on them to beat Mali. Ugh. Doing so with Angola up 4-0 with 11 minutes to go in the game. Big man. What a bet. Oh, crazy. It would have earned him a mere 44 pounds. Yeah, someone needs to explain risk-reward to him. Marley scored four, including two in injury time, to yeah. draw the game 4 all, and the kid lost it all. Oh. Ouch. I hope he wasn't studying accounting, Stewie. Uh, well, I wouldn't think so. Oh, shit. So for Stuart Broad, narrowly avoiding a death trap in Chennai and being posted home in a wooden box... And for the unluckiest punter in America, all I can say is, Ratu Kalori Narakam, bloody hell. Bloody hell. Now, moving on to the Australian Open, Stewie, it's been a week of soaring temperatures, tantrums, timeouts, and Twitter wars. But first, you have some rule updates. Yeah, before we get into the discussion, I want to quickly address a couple of things. One of them really great, one of them not so great. Now, we'll start off with the bad stuff, because that's kind of how you do things. Yep. The Australian Open's brought in this first to 10 tiebreaker in the fifth set for the men and the third set for the women. I don't understand the need to change this. When did it come in? Like, as far as I'm aware, a year or two ago, if that. It might have even been this year, but they've brought this in and I I have no idea why because it's only for the the deciding set. Yeah. Makes no sense. Well, it's time. Clearly, it's for time. In the US Open, they have tiebreakers in the fifth set because they don't want it to continue you know, like that famous well, Wimbledon you've match. Got, you've got the John Isner and Nicholas yeah, Mahut yeah. game as the example. Yeah, and but it's it, it's exciting. It's exciting a fifth set that goes for ages. I mean, the third day of that match. Well, yeah, okay. That, I mean, that one, but that's the outlier. That, you know. that smashed the record by a vast long, distance. Long, long, yeah, yeah, that was just one of those freak occurrences. I think it takes the excitement out, don't you? <sighs> yes and no. It depends. And obviously with 
the lockdown that, that Melbourne's gone into as well. They don't want games going beyond midnight, ideally. They, they kind of want everyone back in their hotels. And it's, there's all sorts of things you can get into. But I don't mind them going to a tiebreak in the fifth set, but why does it need to be 10? Yeah. That's my question. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the thing I'm absolutely loving, though, is the automated line call system. I think this is absolutely brilliant and long overdue. They probably, it might mean a few people on JobKeeper, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, and they probably need to get a slightly better version of the out call because a lot of times it's a... <laughs> but yeah but it's, it's completely eliminated the need for challenges which slow the game down yeah that's fair and in speeding the game up it's it's better for the viewing experience and and more accurate calls too you would hope well exactly and they they show a replay on the back screen of any of these close ones just to show them that yes indeed it was out Above but, board, yep. but it's i think that's been a really really great use initiative. of the technology yeah. and a great initiative exactly so yep. I'm, I'm liking that yeah no i like that too i agree yeah. Now, a quick recap of the first week, because there's a lot to discuss. Yeah, here. there is. So you've got Alex Diminor tagging Tennis Sandgrim in the upper body on match point in the first <laughs> round. Good riddance to him. Insult to injury. Exactly. Danka Kovinich lost six love, six love to Ash Barty in the first round in 44 minutes. Ouch. $2,272 per minute she got, though, for playing. Oh, well, there you go. Or $38 a second. <laughs> Okay. After she quarantined for over 20,000 minutes. Yeah, so that's fantastic. It's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. You had Sophia Kinnian, the defending champion, got stunned by Kaya Kanepi of Estonia in the second round, the earliest loss for a defending Australian Open champion since 2003. And it got even worse for her on Monday. She actually was playing an ATP 250 tournament in Melbourne. And Aussie teenager Olivia Gadecki, who had a career ranking of 727, mm. knocked her off. So not a good start to the year for her. Not great at all. We had Kaya Juvan from Slovenia throwing up in a bucket by the side of the court. Fabio Fognini and Salvatore Caruso, the two Italians, got into a, a massive post-match argument, nearly came to blows. And then we've got this meteoric rise of Jessica Pagula, the daughter of Terry Pagula, who owns the Buffalo Bills and Buffalo Sabres. She made it all the way to the quarterfinals. And Aslan Karatsev who's made it to the semifinals against Novak Djokovic, who's a qualifier. Now, I just want to quickly run through some of the stuff he's achieved in this tournament. First player to ever make the semifinals of a Grand Slam on debut. Incredible. The lowest ranked male player to reach the Australian Open semifinal since Patrick McEnroe in 1991. The lowest ranked male to reach a Grand Slam semifinal since Goran Ivanisevic in Wimbledon in 2001. That epic, Which we all remember all too well. Epic Pat Rafter final. Yep. Fifth male qualifier to reach the single semifinals of a Grand Slam in the Open era. First male qualifier to reach the semifinals of the Australian Open since 1977. Second qualifier to reach the Australian Open semifinals. And the first man to reach the semifinals on his Australian Open debut since 1998. Wow. It's amazing what he's achieved. It sure is. And here's where one of the Twitter spats come in, Stewie. So Nick McCarvel admitted that he'd never heard of him prior to this year, sparking Sergei Stakhovsky to bite back tweeting, this is exactly why our sport is suffering. He is supposed to be a commentator. Several tennis journalists leapt to McCarvel's defense, including Ben Rothenberg from the New York Times and David Law from the BBC. But it didn't stop Stakhovsky continuing the dialogue, saying there are not many excuses you can come up with Last year, there were no tournaments to follow, and he rocked those few. Guess you guys are comfortable with glorifying the top four. What do you reckon? I mean, there's probably some truth to that. I mean, it's, it's tricky. This guy is someone who's ranked outside the top 100, so maybe there's not a whole heap of footage available or coverage of these little tournaments that he's, he's a part of, but... Yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's I mean, super harsh, I reckon. Uh, I, I reckon McCarvel said something that's pissed off Stokowski in the past and he's got an axe to grind. Yeah. Like 
I mean, look, there are commentators out there that don't do their homework. Steve Carfino in the NBL, for example, was notorious for it. He would he would admit on air that he hadn't watched games. He only watched the games he attended to commentate. So the Sydney Kings game. Like, yeah, yeah. He did not do his research. He was shit house. But a guy like outside of the top 100, like how many different people do you have to keep tabs on? Yeah, you know? I mean, you can't expect... He's on the radar now. Yeah, well, like you, you couldn't expect an AFL commentator to know every single player in the waffle, the, yeah, the exactly. sandful, the nearful, all of exactly. those. So yeah. Yep. No, I can I can see that's so that's a good point. Yeah. And in terms of some of the other crazy things that have been going on, we've seen obviously a ton of amazing comebacks and obviously at the flip side of that is a ton Choke. of chokes. Yeah. You had Stan Vavrinka's match against Martin Fusevic. They nearly had both players choking. <laughs> Vavrinka came back from two sets to love down, roared back to force a tiebreak in the fifth set, which he led six one. Wow. And then nine six. And then Fusevic has rattled off five straight points to win the match. Tom Lanovic, the Australian, had Simona Halep on the ropes. She was leading 5-3 in the third set before dropping the next four games. You know, Garbine Muguruza, she threw away a golden chance to beat Naomi Osaka. She led 5-3 in the third set, had Osaka 15-40 on her serve, two match points, lost that game and the next four to, to basically lose the match. Well, Naomi did have the butterflies on her side. Did you see that? I did see that. That was, yeah, that was insane. <laughs> and seagulls were running rampant too. I don't know if you noticed, oh, which is weird because there was no crowd. Yeah, like so I no, understand no, if no everyone's chips. got chips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now Ash Barty had a pretty big choke today. We'll come back to that in a minute. The biggest choke probably goes to six seed Carolina Pliskova, who unfortunately choked against the same person Ash Barty did. So she was playing Carolina Musheva. Musheva took the first set, but Pliskova came out on fire in the second, led five nothing. Mm. Musheva rattled off the next seven games, wow. including saving two set points down 5-4 and basically won the match. Clutch. It's unreal. Now, obviously, with any of these tournaments, there's a lot of things to talk about. Some of them great, some of them not so great. We've got to start off with old mate Bernard Topic. Oh, Bernie. I was going to talk about him a fair bit, but he doesn't really deserve much time except for some of the hilarious tweets after his pathetic loss to Denis Shapovalov. It looked like all those millions in his pockets were weighing him down. <laughs> uh, then I saw someone call him Tomic the Tank Engine. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. That was cracker. great. Yeah, great. And my personal favourite, he had to be home by 7pm so he could wash his <laughs> girlfriend's hair. <laughs> I honestly hope he never participates in a Grand Slam event ever again and ends up having to get a real job one day. And and he would have been a good candidate for being heckled. Did you see that uh, heckler? She's been dubbed Karen. That's the word of the day. I there. feel sorry for every Karen. Yeah, no kidding. Shout out yeah. to all the Karens out there. There won't be many kids named Karen over the next no. decade. Uh, but she she heckled Rafael Nadal by yelling out, hurry up, you OCD fuck. And that's a direct quote. I mean, it's a half truth. And then she flipped him off. Yeah, she did. Oh, look, he has his, yeah, he's like Steve Smith or those sports people that have their little routines. Yeah, he does, he does. But that was very harsh. Well, this is the thing. Nick Kyrgios cops code violations all the time for going too long between serves. And Rafa does take the piss. So I can kind of see where she's coming from, but there's a place and a time for it. And that was not it. I'm sure you've been saying for years that those Aussie crowds at the Aussie Open are the worst of any of the majors. They are. They're shocking. They're always loud at the most inopportune times. I remember the old days of the, and the people just echoing that across the entire stadium. It's like, go home. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Australian crowds can be real dicks at sporting events. Like sometimes when there's a moment of silence, there's always some dick in the crowd that does something or yeah, the grand slam of idiocy. Pull your socks up. Indeed. 
Then our old friend Novak Stewart, super injured, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, can barely walk. This is probably the biggest talking point of the entire tournament for me. It's fair. Yeah, I mean, during the match against Taylor Fritz, he's clearly hampered by an injury in his abdominal region. I mean, that's clear to see. He wasn't moving right. He was kind of all and over he's the taped place. up, and you can see, yeah, yeah, he rushed through points a bit. And it's not surprising because you had Johanna Conta, Casper Ruud, Matteo Berrettini. They all had abdominal issues. They all had to withdraw. So, like, it's not that it's been uncommon. It's not, yeah, it happens. And this was a concern they had with people having these two quarantine. weeks of quarantine. Yep, yep. But when he basically says, I've torn an abdominal muscle and can still finish out the match. Fin- and win it. Finished it strong in the fifth as yeah, well, let's yep. say. He didn't just yep. limp over the line. He finished strong. Then he beats Milos Raonic, a massive server. And just in the last 24 hours, he beats he beats Sverev. Yep. So he's full of shit. He's full of shit, basically. He, he's got a side strain, not a tear. Exactly. I think a strain is believable. Yeah. I think a tear is just, yeah. it's just not. Yeah. Until I see an MRI, I'm not going to believe it. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think he'll release that. He's no. been very, very coy about it the last couple of days. But it, this comes back to the whole why people don't like him as much as they like Federer and Nadal. Yep. Because... He's a dick. He's a dick. They wouldn't, well, <laughs> they, like those two wouldn't lie about it. And, and Djokovic came out with this big thing talking about a match that Federer won where he was injured and everyone was praising him for being phenomenal, but he was injured. He was actually injured, not, yeah, not yeah. just pretending. Yeah. Like making excuses. Like I had a quick look once, once he said that. And online, they were saying basically, if you've got an abdominal tear, it would take minimum two to three weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah. When cricketers get an abdominal tear, when bowlers get a tear, they can't bowl for ages, yeah. ages. The rehab's really tricky, yeah. And when you think about it, it's a similar motion serving as it is Yeah, bowling. oh, yeah, shit, yeah. It's that upwards Oh, the strain, thing. yeah, yeah. constantly. You just, you and not even just serving, just rallying. Like, every shot would hurt. Yeah. Every shot. Every single movement, let yeah. alone shot. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's absolutely crazy that he wants us to believe these... Painkillers alone apparently are getting him through. I don't understand how it didn't get Conta, Rude, or Berrettini through, mm. unless maybe they're against painkillers, which seems ridiculous. So, well, he's an anti-vaxxer, but he's not an anti-painkiller. Mm. Yes, yeah, very, very true. Yeah, I will just quickly give him a side note. A little congratulations, though. He did win his three hundredth Grand Slam match, and as much of a dick as he is, oh, there's no denying his his skill and ability. Second all time behind behind Federer, who is on three hundred and sixty two. Wow, surprising he's ahead of Nadal. Mm. Nadal's mm. got an extra couple of years on him. Dominated yeah. the French. Oh, I'm surprised by that. But anyway, yeah. so I guess from one injury to the other, the injury timeout. Ah, uh, yes, this today. is not yes, good. Yes. Not good. So. To set the scene for people, Ash Barty was knocked out today by Karolina Mucheva from the Czech Republic. Barty, After starting very strong. Very strong. She won the first set 6-2 in a canter. about 29 minutes, I think it was. Quickly broke for the, in the first game of the, the second set to go up 2-love. And at 2-1, basically, she's just decided, you know what, my head's not in the right spot. I'm feeling a bit dehydrated. I'm going to go off the court. Now, we kind of differ a little bit on on this because you, you've done a lot of reading. Well, I've read between the lines. I don't think she actually used the word dehydrated, but the way she described the symptoms, the dizziness, feeling light on her feet, or, you know, it sounded like dehydration to me. Which is interesting because Daniel Medvedev and Andre Rublev actually played in hotter conditions during the middle of the day. They played in plus 30 conditions. 
So I find it interesting. And look, admittedly, Rublev looked like a zombie. Uh, he literally looked like a zombie. He looked like the walking dead. He, like did. he, he wouldn't have even needed makeup. <laughs> Make him an extra straight away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I find it interesting, though, that these guys were okay to finish their match. Well, but everyone's body's different, isn't it? I, yeah. I think this is a case of it's legal, but it's kind of against the spirit of the game for me. And not surprisingly, she goes off, she rehydrates, gets a little bit of ice on the back of her neck. And, and wins. And came out and absolutely destroyed Barty for the rest of the match. Yeah. She won something like 13 of the next 16 games or something ridiculous like that. There's no denying that momentum is so important in sports. It's huge in So important. In just about every sport. But especially in, a, in a, a game where it's just you. Yeah, true. Anything that's an individual sport, you've got yep. no one to lean back on. There's no one to, you know, grab you around. They can't the, even talk to their coach, yeah, you know, during the match. They can't yeah. grab you around the, around the shoulders and go, hey, it's okay, take a breath, you're sweet. Ash choked. She should have won the match, 100%. But yep. And she was very classy in her post-match interview. You wouldn't expect anything else. From oh, her, yeah, she's she's fantastic. But, yeah, I just... I just a lot of our sports blokes could learn a lot from our female sports. <laughs> probably yeah. could, actually. But. Yeah. But uh, no, look, not great. So I guess who's left? We've got the semifinals. That Lots have, of Russians. They're, they're, well, in the men's side. There were quite a lot of Russians in the, in the quarterfinals. <laughs> so we've got Djokovic and Karatsev in one of the semifinals and Tsitsipas and Daniel Medvedev in the other in the men's. And we actually delayed recording tonight to see the end of the Tsitsipas-Nadal match where Tsitsipas came from two sets down. Absolute classic. Yeah. I dare say Medvedev, who had a pretty easy run against Rublev today, will probably be okay to get through that. But... I think it's hard to go against Abtair Djokovic right now. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's playing well regardless. He's of, been on a tear, Stuart. He has been on a tear. <laughs> that is absolutely hey, brilliant. Yeah, hey, we'll be here all week. An absolute tear. That is great. <laughs> on the women's Man, We might have a title. Oh, we do. <laughs> In the women's draw, we've got Mucheva and Jennifer Brady on one side and we've got Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka on the other. Probably going to be a winner from that second match, you'd imagine. Serena's looking really good. I'd probably well, Serena's on the revenge tour, isn't she? So she beat Halep and now she's out for ah, blood with Osaka. True, yeah, and so. there's no line judges to get in the way, so yeah. Well, yeah. that, yeah, for her or Novak, so yeah, 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 perfect tournament for him. And just before we wrap things up, a very quick shout out to Dylan Alcott. Not surprisingly, he's still dominating. Oh, the we've world. buried the lead here. He's extended his record. Yeah, so he won, won the doubles with Heath Davidson over Andy Lapthorne and David Wagner, and then utterly destroyed Sam Schroeder of the Netherlands, 6-1-6 love in the singles. So, yeah. And that's Dylan Alcott's seventh consecutive Australian Open, Stewie. It feels like 147. Like, <laughs> hey, could get there. Really, Give him time. Rarely lose. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> like 180 years. Just, here's my backhand. You uh. bastard. And now, this week in sport history. So we've actually moved the recording of this from a Monday to a Wednesday night. So Probably should have mentioned that at the top. Probably should have. But uh, <laughs> So we've had to do slightly more than a week. But as it turned out, they all ended up being Monday to Monday anyway. So There you go. February 15th, 1932. We've spoken about this test before, but a new wrinkle to it. So in the fifth and final test of a whitewash, Australia beat South Africa by an innings and 72 runs in just five hours and 53 minutes of playing time at the MCG, making it the shortest completed test match in the history of cricket. Play started on the 12th of February, and after South Africa were bowled out for 36 in just 89 minutes, the Aussies made 153 with time left on the first day. The second day was fully rained out. The third day was a designated rest day, and play lasted less than 30 overs in the fourth day. Australia didn't even need an innings from Don Bradman, or as much as a delivery from frontline spinner at the time, Clary Grimmett, who didn't bowl in either innings. 
Bert Ironmonger took 11 for 24 for the match. Still the cheapest 10-wicket haul in the history of cricket. Absolute madness. Ugh. The same day, February 15, 1932, but in a different part of the world, at the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid in New York State, US athlete Eddie Egan wins a gold medal as part of the four-man bobsleigh team, making him the only athlete to win gold medals at the Summer and Winter Olympic Games in different sports, mm. having also won gold in boxing at the 1920 Antwerp Summer Games. Now, we've previously spoken about Gillis Grafstrom, who won gold at the Antwerp Summer Games, as well as the 1924 Winter Olympics in Chamonix, and the 1928 games in San Moritz in Switzerland, both in figure skating though, because that used to be at the Summer and Winter Olympics. And Grafstrom is still the only athlete to win individual golds at both Summer and Winter Olympics. So yeah, crazy. Also February 15th, this time 1973, Tennessee's Friendsville Academy put an end to a 138 game losing streak on the basketball court with a 62 to 43 win over St. Calamus Academy of Corbin, Kentucky, their first victory in six years. Interestingly, St. Calamus was on a 48-game losing streak of their own prior to the game, and Coach Jing Langster had organised the game in hopes that they would finally get a win. Post-game, the team's new coach, Rick Little, aptly applied the old adage, you can't lose them all. It gets better, though. Apparently, in one of St. Calamus's previous games, they claimed they were robbed of a win after what they believed was a go-ahead buzzer beater that was disallowed because no one heard the final siren due to crowd noise. The other team was able to score a basket after the time ran out and it was counted. Ironically, considering no one heard the buzzer, the team that beat them was Kentucky School for the Deaf. (laughs) You can't make this shit up. You just can't. February 16th, 1972, another one we've spoken about briefly. The Test Cricket debut of West Indian Lawrence Rowe versus New Zealand in Kingston, making 214 and 100 not out, becoming the first player in the history of Test Cricket to make centuries in both innings of his debut test. He was also just the second player behind England's Tip Foster to make a double century on debut. You might remember that West Indian Kyle Mayers became just the sixth player last week. Mm. What an absolutely magnificent effort. Actually surprised to see there have been 196 different players with double centuries in Test Cricket. Well, it's been around a long time. Still seems like a high amount, Yeah, it's pretty high. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, February 18th, 1909, the Boston Red Sox trade future Hall of Famer Cy Young, and he now has an award named after him, at the age of 41 to the Cleveland Naps. Oh, it's one of the more ridiculous names out there, Stewie. He also played for the Cleveland Spiders, the St. Louis Perfectos, which I love, and the Boston Rustlers. But sadly, he didn't live to see the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. (laughs) This week in sport history. Now, before we talk about the NBA seriously, Stewie, we've got a little funny one to start off with. Yes, rest in peace, Devin Booker's career. (laughs) He's about to turn to shit. He's officially dating Kendall Jenner. Kardashian curse. The Kardashian curse, which is something we'll probably want oh, we to We have to address. We, we have, have to, to. We want to talk about curses in general, but yes. the Kardashian curse is a, is a tough one. Yes. And it's hard because she's a very attractive woman, but unfortunately she will ruin his career. So, <laughs> poor bastard. Based on what happened to Lamar Odom and stuff. <laughs> well, and Blake Griffin. That was Chloe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yep. And Chris Humphreys. Yep. The list goes on. And so on. Reggie so on. Bush. Reggie Bush, yep. Yep. Well, we just kind of addressed the Kardashian There we curse. go. <laughs> Anyway, you want to talk about the Utah Jazz, Stewie? Yeah, look, I, I did not see the Jazz being top of the West at any stage, let alone this far into the season. And it's it's kind of funny because you were talking last season about them being phenomenal. Yeah, I I just I've always liked their defense. Uh, they have good ball movement. They've kind of done this year what I was kind of expecting them to do last year. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny when you look at the couple of differences between last year. So Mike Conley, first of all, his numbers 
way more Grizzlies-esque this season. His field goals are up from 41 to 45%. Threes are up from 37 to 41. His effective field goal percentage, for those who aren't familiar with that, it takes into account the fact that threes are worth more than two. It adjusts the percentage based on the total points per shot they yield. I heard on the low post today, on the advanced stats, he's pretty much the most important player in the league at the moment. Well, that's it. His effective field goal percentage is one of the highest in the league. And, and he may not even get an all-star nod. Well, he won't, I wouldn't think. There's two guys on his team ahead of him. But... Maybe, yeah. Well, not based on what Kevin Arnovitz said, but the other voters will see. Well, yeah. but then you look at Rudy Gobert, absolute laydown down for Defensive Player of the Year at the moment. He's first in defensive real plus minus. So basically for every 100 possessions, he's on the floor on defense. The Jazz are better off than any team with any player in the league in terms of point differential. Jakob Pertle is a close second. Ah, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've benefited from Aldridge being out, I think, or he True. has. Yeah, it's absolute daylight down to third. Yeah, but you're right about Rudy. Do you know Utah is the only team to be in the top ten at denying shots at the rim and at the perimeter? So they're defending you inside and out. They're also the only team that's top ten in offense and defensive rating. Yep. Every other team. You know, the Lakers, I think, were second in offense and like 12th in defense. The Brooklyn Nets are first in offense and 712th in defense. I'll get to them. (laughs) But uh, no, look, going back to Conley for a second, he's actually seventh in defensive plus minus rating. So tells you a lot about why their defense is so good. Mm. But I think actually having Derek Favors back has been huge to their second. Very important big man role player. Definitely really has. Definitely. And oddly, they're fourth in the league in blocks, but dead last in steals. So again, pure reason why Gobert is absolutely defensive player of the year. But it's so great to see the team that suffered that heartbreak last year. Conley misses the three that could have had them beat Denver. They go on and probably get beat by the Clippers. Stewie, Denver is their kryptonite. That is the only team they've lost to in their last 18 games. And Denver are only 15 and 12 at the moment. And Jokic had 47 in that game as well. Yeah, so So, they can beat everyone but Denver, it seems. uh, Do you know, I heard in their last 20 games, Utah has beaten the spread in 19 of them. Well, how's this? They've led for 40 plus minutes in 14 of their 26 games. Wow. So in a 48-minute game, they've led for 40 minutes or more in more than half of their games. It's going to be interesting to see just how far they can go this year. I think they could be pushing Western Conference Finals. Well, hey, they say defense wins championships and they're playing very good defense. And they share the ball, like I say. Joe Ingles is playing great off the bench. There's no reason to think that they won't be right up there. Speaking of defense... The Brooklyn Nets. (laughs) Go on. So there's been a lot of talk about the Nets and their struggles against teams under 500. Do you know the Nets are 9-11 against teams below 500? The most losses in the NBA. Mm. But 9-1 against teams above 500. Bodes well for the playoffs, I guess. Do do they need to just worry about getting past the presumably sub-500 New York Knicks in the first round (laughs) and then they'll just coast to the championship? (laughs) Maybe. I looked at the standings after today's game. It feels like half the league is hovering around 500, actually. The only team giving up more points per game at the moment is the lowly 8-17 and Washington Wizards, who have allowed opponents an average of 119.1 points per game. The Nets, who are 18-12, and are allowing 117.9 points per game. It's got to be said, though, Stewie, that of the eight teams that are top in each conference, so not the best 16 teams in the league, but the best 16 teams when you look at the eight from each conference, the fewest points per game allowed is the New York Knicks at 103.6. Tibbs, man. And they're one of only six teams to be allowing less than 110 in the top eight of the East and West, respectively. And Boston are just scraping in at 109. Do you remember the late 90s when you could win a game 65 to 62? Do you remember how shit that was? Now that's a half. Yeah. That's crazy. 
and it's and it's it is more entertaining. It's man. way more entertaining. Yeah, but no, man, that's the Tibbs effect. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. if you can call one hundred and three point six good. Well, you, you can in today's, I guess relatively, yeah. Yeah, in today's game, it is. I yeah, mean, it's yeah. it's basically the equivalent of holding teams to yeah seventy five yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So another team I wanted to talk about very quickly is the Detroit Pistons. Now they're eight and nineteen. They're dead bottom in the East, which sounds absolutely horrible until you consider the fact that their eight wins are against Boston, Phoenix, Miami, Philadelphia, the Lakers, Brooklyn. Boston again, and New Orleans. They've won some games against some really, really good teams. Nine of their 27 games so far have been played against teams below 500. So they've had a really tough schedule. And of those nine, two were against Miami, who despite their record are a quality team. Two were against Atlanta, who up until recent times have been a really good team. They've, they've just gone to shit, unfortunately, but they, they were pretty good. And New Orleans, who aren't that bad as well. So their only games against really bad teams were Minnesota and Cleveland twice. So they've had a hideous run so far, but we've spoken about how good Jeremy Grant's been. Sadiq Bay's kind of found his NBA legs a bit. He had 30 points on seven of seven threes with 12 boards against Boston the other day. Very handy. DeLon Wright had 22 points and at least seven assists in three or four games and then 16 on Monday. There's signs like, okay, you look at the, the ladder in their what, three games out of the play-in at the moment? Yeah. So I know that's not great, but it'll keep them holding on and keep Oh, yeah, pushing. yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll keep teams competing later into the season. So, and they've actually got a pretty decent run coming up. So there's a decent chance that they could they could make a run. So I just kind of wanted to outline that whilst everyone's sort of counting Detroit out, I don't know if we should be just yet. And we can't talk Detroit without Blake Griffin. Well, yeah, speaking of the Pistons, unfortunately, we've reached that point with him where the Pistons are going to hold him out of games in the lead up to the the deadline on March 25th. $36 million this year, $39 million player option this year. (sighs) This is going to be a buyout. There's no way a team is taking on that contract in a trade. Not unless they're tanking. Not Absolutely not. Yeah. Now, I've heard a couple of things. One of the things I heard was it's almost a foregone conclusion that he's bought out. And ends up on the Lakers. Yeah, one of the big teams. Lakers, Clippers, Nets. One of those teams, probably. You know, if you look at Griffin, he's an okay pickup for a veteran's minimum. He's scoring's half of what it was two seasons ago. Shooting's down from 46 to 36%. Would you pick him up? I've got some stats here. With the Clippers, 21.6 points a game, 51% shooting, 1,005 dunks. With the Pistons, 20.7 points per game, 43% shooting, 55 dunks. I thought it'd be negative five. He hasn't dunked a ball in two seasons. Yeah. This was like one of the guys that were thinking maybe one of the greatest dunkers of all time. He was in a Clippers jersey. He's lost his legs. Yeah. Look, at veterans minimum, yes, I would take him. I wouldn't trade for him though. Absolutely not. I I don't think anyone's going to trade for him. It's just a case of where he ends up. He'll probably end up being a really handy player on a playoff team. Yeah. Now the same thing's happening in Cleveland with Andre Drummond. Now Jared Allen's kind of been earmarked as their center of the future. Matt Barnes actually made a really interesting point on the jump about him going to Brooklyn to basically be a rebounder and a rim protector. But he's not a great defender. Like... Drummond is 66th out of 81 centers in the league in defensive plus minus. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a rebounding beast, basically. And he can score your points. Andrew Wiggins blocks more shots than him. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. And DeAndre Jordan's 59th in that as well. So it's not like they've got a great defender sitting in there at the moment. I'd actually rather see him go to Philly or Boston if he's staying in the East. Oh, yeah. Or 
he'd actually be really good for the Suns or the Spurs. Boston would love him. Oh, Boston. Yeah. Any, I mean, oh, anyone would. I've seen on Twitter in Spurs Nation, there's been a bit of talk about him. I don't know. At that price, I don't know if we want him at that price. I like I like the way the Spurs are cooking at the moment, and I, I'd love to see us get rid of Aldridge. But it depends if you can get him. Keep some cap. If you can do the same, though, as what they're doing with Griffin, if he gets bought out. Oh, he, yeah, yeah. But he'll, if he gets bought out, he'll go to a contender, not the Spurs. True. But, yeah, Boston is a very interesting one. Yeah, I mean, the reason I kind of looked at those two teams is they're not amazing rebounding teams, whereas Drummond's fourth all-time in rebounds before turning 28 behind Chamberlain, Dwight Howard, and a guy named Bill Russell. You may have heard of him. May have heard of him. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this stuff is Draymond's come out, and look, Draymond always gives great quotes. Um, He's basically said that there's a real double standard and that on one hand, teams are expecting players to sit out and remain professional and stay in shape and just like it or lump it that they're not playing. And then on the other hand, if a player like James Harden does what he did, then they're complete villains and everyone hates them. I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, again, I, I, we go back to this one. I saw you go through that year with Kawhi Leonard where he basically refused to play because he was taking the pits. Taking the pits. Yeah. And it's the same sort of deal where he does. He looks like an absolute dick. But yeah, it, it's a good point. You know, why are the teams not held to the same standard and... You know, they're, they're basically telling Drummond, we don't want you to play because your value could drop if you get injured. Whereas we're obviously looking to get a return. Now, obviously, it's a it's a business and these players are unfortunately the products or the, the services or whatever you want to call it. Commodities. The commodity, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good word. So, Look, I don't always side with ownership, but I think Draymond's way off on this one. It's COVID times. You're getting paid a shitload of money to sit on a bench, just like being paid a shitload of money to sit in quarantine. Like... There are, there are businesses failing in the States. I mean, at my work, we had 100 voluntary redundancies. This is just Perth. In the States, businesses are failing every day, like hospitality, tourism, entire industries are on their knees. Mate, if, you, if you're getting paid 20 mil plus to sit on a bench for a few weeks, I think you can handle it. That's yeah. my view anyway. Look, I, I maybe don't, I wouldn't go quite as far as that. I mean, I don't. I don't so much agree entirely with what he's saying. I don't entirely disagree with what he's saying. I'm maybe a little bit on the fence in the middle there, but yeah, it's, it is tough. I mean, at the same time, these guys are still made out of the same skin and bones. Oh, sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. And they read. And and I'd be more sympathetic in non COVID times, but in COVID times, be thankful you're earning a fuckload of money and Mm. setting up generations, you know? Yep. That's fair enough. yeah. Yeah. And speaking of a Golden State Warrior, we've got another one. Steph Curry made four three-pointers in 13 straight games before going two for nine against Brooklyn on Sunday. Tied the longest streak in NBA history. He also had the most points through 25 games at the age of 32, apart from one Michael Jordan. Mm. He also had his 17th game with 10 or more threes in a game against Orlando on Friday. 17. And again, I remember when nine was the record for a game. Clay Thompson sits second with five. Yeah. So Soon they'll rename the three-pointer to a Steph Curry. Well, they almost have to, but it's it's kind of funny. He's second in the league in scoring. He's a, a hair under 50, 40, 90 in doing so. The Warriors are currently in the playoffs, albeit in the eight seed, which you know would be a play-in game, but no Clay Thompson. Kelly Oubre was playing like arse until a handful of games ago. Wiseman's missed a few. How is he not in the MVP race? He is in the He's got to be. He like, is. Up until recently, it's been Giannis, LeBron and Jokic. That's all it's been. Well, I think you could throw Gobert up there too, actually. Potentially. Yeah. I, think, I don't think he deserves I think he's to a, win it. I think he's a tier below yeah. those guys. But Steph's numbers are better than they were in 2014-15 when he was the unanimous MVP. 
wins count. A bit of food for thought, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about wins. Now, just quickly, I'll round this out with a, a couple of news notes and quotes for you. NBA action. NBA. <laughs> Good, you picked up on that one. Look, one of the things I want to talk about, your Spurs. The yes. only team to have a winning record against those Golden State Warriors since the 2011-2012 season. How's this? We have one of the best road records in the league and we're below 500 at home. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good stat to have. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Zach Levine and Kobe White became the first teammates in NBA history to each have eight or more three-pointers in the same game, which I think is just crazy. It really is, but Zach Levine is almost the epitome of good player on a bad team. Very much so. Speaking of Zach Levine, he also became the first Bulls player to score 120 points in a three-game span since Michael Jordan in 1997. Mm. So again, big numbers, bad team. Yep. Miami Heat, eight and seven with Jimmy Butler, three and nine without him. They need him to play as many games as possible. So they've been ravaged by what I suspect is COVID. Mm. Yeah. I think they'll still make the playoffs, but... They should do. Yeah. Uh, six foot five, Josh Hart had 20 points and 17 rebounds. Is this the three point shooting effect? More rebounds are going further out, so the guards have a better chance. That's quite possible, but seven, that's crazy. 17 that's boards nuts. from a guard. Yeah. Hassan Whiteside had 26 points, 16 rebounds, and five blocks in just 24 minutes a couple of days ago. Some of the old Miami numbers he used to put up. Very much so. The Nets were 27 of 47 from deep in that game, though. 57.4% is, is insane. That is. Ben Simmons, 42 points, nine rebounds, 12 assists against Utah yesterday. Unfortunately, outdone by 40 from Jordan Clarkson off the bench in 29 minutes. Nonetheless, a record for an Aussie playing in the NBA for points in a game. And he narrowly missed a triple-double a couple of days before that, too. And some tragic news to finish things off. Seth Curry missed a free throw. So the chance of the first ever 50-50-100 season are officially dead. Well, there is still two-thirds of the season left, so... Oh, I know, but it's nice to dream. (laughs) So, so many crazy performances and numbers coming out of the NBA right now. It's been great to watch. It sure has. And then just quickly, Shuri, as you alluded to before, the championship race might be wide open because there are rumours that what's said to be a calf injury to Anthony Davis is maybe actually an Achilles. And they are very dangerous injuries to have. Well, I mean, he missed a couple of games with tendinosis in the Achilles last week. And I must say, at first sight, I was kind of worried it was something a bit more sinister, but they're saying that he'll be out for two to three weeks. So maybe after the all-star break, he'll come back. I think they need to give him absolutely as much time as possible. Oh yes. It doesn't matter where they finish. doesn't matter if they finish fifth, you need him healthy. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think this is something we'll maybe bring up in a couple of weeks. Once we know a little bit more about the situation, but they'll, they'll lose some games. It does not matter at this stage. No, you want to be healthy come playoff time. Yeah. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What are you apt for? I mean, it's hard to go past the semi-finals and the finals in the Australian Open. I'm certainly hoping for another upset with uh, Mr. Karatsev. Yes, yes. It would be, yep. be very, very nice. And look, in terms of the NBA, Brooklyn at the Lakers tomorrow could be a preview of the finals. Obviously, it won't be quite as exciting as it was a couple of days ago. But And then Utah at the Clippers Friday could easily be a preview of the Western Conference Finals. Indeed. How about yourself, mate? Um, NBL Cup? You know my thoughts on the NBL Cup. Hopefully we get that interview this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. (laughs) 